1: Good evening, my friends, and welcome once again to Natural One and the world of Rasmore. Tonight's story, however, begins in another world, a familiar world, the world of Faerun. We open the scene in Waterdeep, in the North Ward, in a rather irregular tavern, known for their bartending ghost, their great stout, and their signature dish, massaged octopus with cheese. The home of the Foxy Irregulars was bustling with activity this night, making it difficult to convince one five-year-old Remy Remington, son of the illustrious Remy the Fox, to go to bed. Daddy,
2: I'm not ready for bed. I'm not, I'm not.
1: Now, little Remy, you know if you do not go to bed, your mother will see us both keelhold before the end of the night. Now, what can your poor father do to save his hide? A story, Daddy.
2: I won't go to bed without a story. Yeah, Daddy. Come on, tell him a story. Make it a good one.
1: Ruckus, I am trying to put my son to bed, thank you. You will just rile him up more.
2: Well, if your story bores him, someone's got to keep him entertained.
3: Right, crotch buddy? It's been a while since we've heard one of your stories, Remy. I'd love to hear one.
4: Uh, I have a million stories I can tell you.
1: No, no. (laughs) I will tell the story as you can never trust what comes out of Uncle Uzo's mouth. Isn't that right, Remy? Uh... Fair play. How about I tell you a story of my time as a pirate? Uh, Fuck. Uh, a new
2: story, Daddy. A new one. Yeah, Daddy, hurry up and tell us a new
1: one. Come on. Oh, I'll tell you a new one, all right, Ruckus. In your backside. I'm referencing your R's. <clears throat> Boys. Okay, very well. I shall tell you a story of a far-off world called Razmore. A world shattered in a great event known as the Sundering, which broke it into pieces, ending civilization as they knew it, and forcing the tens of thousands of people that call it home to begin society anew in a now foreign and hostile environment. The first nation to rise from the ashes vowed to regulate all magic throughout the land, so such an atrocity could never occur again. And thus, the mage nation of Uslium ascended to power.
2: Oh, so it's going to be a long story, isn't it?
4: Wait, 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 wait. They vowed to regulate all magic? Sounds like a recipe for corruption and oppression.
1: Oh, potential for corruption, of course. But they had the noblest of intentions. So disastrous was the Sundering, and so great their fear of a second, this great and powerful nation felt the ends would justify the means. And they governed with an iron fist in the name of safety and security for the entire realm. Oh yes, this will definitely end well.
3: I suppose I can see where they're coming from after such an event, but regulating magic so strictly is incredibly short-sighted. It's just going to spill through. Well, if you do set up rules, people will
2: inevitably break them. Still, it would be great if I could control all magic. Yep, no room for corruption at all. Totally won't go mad with power. Not over here. Mm mm.
3: All right. Well, first that's absolute rubbish, and second of all, what if you aren't the one controlling the magic? What happens then? You don't know me. I know you quite well. Thank I you I very much. I don't think much. I know you I...
4: either. You speak <laughs> Elvin, and I did not know that until. Look,
3: literally every one of us can do magic. Do we want to be regulated? No. I
2: have been meaning to tell you that.
3: And
1: a lot of Ex- other excuse secrets. Excuse me. I've been excuse me. Can we please get back to the story? This is for my son after all. Yeah. Stop interrupting and talking over each other so I can actually hear the story. <clears throat> Our story takes place a little over 1,000 years after the Sundering. And as all good stories do, it begins on a ship.
3: Yay, ships!
1: In the port city of Ostren, located in the Emerald Bay of the Lithanian Empire, a ship known as the Angel's Valor departs and makes their way out to the sanguine ocean their destination is the port city of ismail on the western continent of austrian aboard this royal merchant ship captained by lila Thorel, we meet our unlikely heroes each traveling to ismail for reasons of their own a dragonborn paladin named mayhem who is a devout follower of the god of peace and reason rao he avoids combat whenever possible and when pushed Prefers non-lethal methods of violence.
2: Non-lethal? Non-lethal? Okay, so what? He, he talks his opponents to death? He sounds so boring. Oh my god. I bet he sounds just like this. Oh, I'm mayhem and I don't kill things. I, I like peace and reason. I love talking to my enemies in the hopes I won't need to kill them. Fart noise is what I say to that.
3: Language. There is a child present. Hey, don't talk about Uzo that way.
2: She clearly meant Remy Jr. Well, that's up for debate. It's not like he's going to pick it up. Get back to the fucking story. Whoops. (laughs) I guess he picks it up quick.
1: Who knew? Also on the ship was the roguish Sen, a half-elf raised in the slums of Berkshire, a city full of Mechanists. There was Natrix, a tiefling assassin disguised as a half-elf. Maya, a half-elf sorcerer of Uslium, shrouded in secrets, and Ted, an unassuming yet powerful fighter and an even more powerful accountant. The Angel's Valor set sail, heading for Ismail. And for three weeks, our heroes had quite the journey. They made friends with the crew, they learned new skills, they even went fishing and caught A black marlin with a nose that was this long. One night, they were awoken by the first mate, Alistair Colby. And he roused them all, letting them know a pirate attack was upon them and they were being boarded. Our heroes valiantly fought off this pirate attack, killing many men in the process. On the third week of their journey... All of a sudden, a storm brewed up. The clouds turned dark. Lightning struck the ocean from the sky, lighting it up. Suddenly, they heard a loud, booming crash above their heads, drawing their eyes to the sky. And there, they saw red lightning in place above them, far into the atmosphere. They heard the boom again. And again. And it felt like the entire world shook from the impact. Suddenly, with the loudest crash they had ever heard, reality broke. The red lightning split the sky and a tear in reality formed right in front of their eyes. And through this tear, monstrous tentacles flowed out. Huge, some the size of skyscrapers.
2: Oh, Remy, you were right. You tore reality a new one.
1: Suddenly, a gargantuan entity emerged through this tear in reality. And when it did, all those aboard the Angel's Valor heard a powerful scream in their heads. and They fell to the ground, to the deck of the ship, clutching their heads. And then they saw a vision. Memories that were not theirs. Places they've never been. Other worlds that they have never seen. They saw a great spire reaching up into the sky. They saw the remnants of the old world attached to the spire they saw dragons nailed to it chained to it cut ritualistically on their bellies power and magic and life force being siphoned from them all being drawn to a point at the very top of this tower they saw that same lightning strike the sky in their vision. They saw the same entity come through. They witnessed the heroes of old flying up to the Terran reality and entering it just before the sundering occurs, splitting the entire continent into four and destroying everything that they knew by the time our heroes came out of this vision something below the water was stirring whatever that gargantuan creature was doing it was having an effect on the creatures below and so large tentacles started to rise out of the water and gripped the ship in a death embrace. The angel's valor was under attack by a mighty kraken. That's right, Remy, the same kind of kraken that Daddy killed. Though our heroes fought valiantly, the kraken was too heavy a foe for them. The ship went down, and with it, our heroes...
3: When gods touch mortal lives, everything changes.
4: When they can be bothered to fit it into their very busy schedules.
1: And so the course of their lives did change as they awoke slowly on a seemingly deserted island. Maya lay there on the beach dying when suddenly she felt an entity reach out and breathe life back into her body and she awoke and seeing in front of her a ghostly apparition. Tall, skeletal, flayed skin, bits of muscle covering bits of skeleton, but no skin. Half of that ghostly visage gone. This was Lilith. Maya had been seeing her since she was young, and she had been with Maya for a very long time, haunting her every step and waiting. The party manages to gather themselves and tries to find some way to build a shelter. In the meantime they're very loud about it and they assumed they were on a deserted island. Never assume little Remy, you know what happens. That first night, they are awoken, very briefly, as they are immediately hidden ahead and knocked unconscious. Captured by pirates, the heroes awoke in jail cells made of bamboo. It was clear that these pirates were living on this island now. The captain of the pirates, named Captain Gale, came and spoke with our heroes, telling them that they were to be sacrificed to a beast deep within the island. Captain Gale's eyes were milky white, a sign of mind control. Something was not right here. And so Captain Gale's first mate, Swanton Riley, came and made a deal with our heroes asking them to kill whatever beast it is down there that has his captain captive. See what I did there? No? No one? Okay. And so, Swanton Riley armed our heroes before plunging them down into the depths. In a small grotto that opened up to a large underwater cavern, where they found the beast was an aboleth. They fought hard and killed the Aboleth, luckily, but they almost fell while doing it. In fact, Maya suffered a grave wound that nearly took her life. And again, Lilith the Ghost saved her. After they freed Captain Gale from the influence of the Aboleth, they made a deal to go to the island of Okupara first, the pirates' home base that they had not been to for six months while they had been under control of this Aboleth. The party agrees, and they head north to Okupara. When they arrived, they found that their pirate captain is actually a pirate lord, but he was no longer welcome on Okupara. The three other pirate lords met him at the docks, letting him know that they did not consider him a lord any longer. The pirate lords were Captain Hathaway, Captain Omnia, and Captain Grand Deadeye, a half-orc who seized all of Captain Gale's holdings and took over his operations on Akupara. Gale quickly garnered the support and help of the adventurers to help him turn the tides on the island. Before they could set foot on the island, though, Mayhem and Natrix had to be disguised. As you see, dragonborn and tieflings are more rare in Rasmore, and they are not well liked by most people, due to their perceived involvement in the sundering of old.
2: Oh, classic racists.
1: Yeah, fuck racists. Well, I share your sentiment, Remy. Don't use that word in front of your mother. Racist? Thanks, Ruckus. Big help. You know me. I'm here to help. Anytime. Sen, using her disguise kit, manages to actually do a decent disguise on the Dragonborn Mayhem. But they are not the only ones that needed to hide who they were. Mages also are not welcome on Ogupara, as the pirates don't want any trouble with Uslium. And so, should they find a mage, they will cut out his tongue, or worse, should they do any magic. Captain Gale asks the party to reach out to both Captain Hathaway and Captain Omnia on his behalf, attempting to garner support for some kind of coup against Grond. You see, Grond was a very selfish pirate lord, and as he had taken, Gale's holdings had also had eyes on Hathaway and Omnia's. Captain Gale thought that he could use this to his advantage to get both pirate lords on his side, but would need the party's help. And so the heroes agreed, and made their way onto the island, up to the inn called the Admiral's Quarters. Once inside, they met a drunken pirate at the bar, named David, who was a half-elf, and as it turned out, was the brother of Alistair Colby, who had died on the angel's valor when the kraken attacked. This pirate, having drank quite a bit, offers to show the party around. He gives them a general tour of the island. After the tour, the party was particularly intrigued by the brothel and decided to go pay it a visit. Mayhem the Dragonborn found at that brothel another dragonborn who had been enslaved by Hathaway and was now his prized whore. Mayhem, however, spoke with this dragonborn named Onra, developed a bond, and yes, he paid his money, and both of them... Remy, uh, is this really an appropriate story for a child? Perhaps you're right, Uzo. Maybe this is not the time for that.
3: Mark that one
1: down in the history books. He admitted you are right, Uzo. It does happen from time to time. If you're going to want to hear that part, Remy... You are just going to have to watch the episodes.
3: Episodes?
1: After that, they sought an audience with Hathaway, who, as they found out, was not exactly the most moral person there was, being a pirate and all. Oh, I assure you, there are good pirates, little Remy, like me. But there are also some bad ones. And Hathaway? He was the latter of the two. Hathaway tells them of a brothel that Grand is building that will cut in on his revenue stream, and so they agree that they will burn it down if Hathaway will join them. And so that night, the party attempted to burn that brothel. Natrix and Maya went up first, but were caught and questioned. Feeling their backs were to the wall, they tried to quickly burn it down and a fight ensued. Maya revealed herself as a mage by casting Shatter, which accidentally hit Natrix, and knocked her unconscious. The guards then closed in on Maya, knocking her unconscious as well. They captured both and sent for Grand Deadeye. However, before Grand could get there, Mayhem, Sen, and Ted snuck up, took out all of the people there, and saved Maya and Natrix's life. However, one person had gotten away, and he told Grant everything. And so Grond knew who they were, and he knew that they could be found at Captain Gale's ship. He immediately sends troops to capture three people. Swanton Riley, Captain Gale's first mate, Emmalina, Captain Hathaway's brothel proprietor, and the dragon-born prostitute. Onra, he brings them all to Captain Gale's ship, demands recompense for the damages, levies accusations that Gale has brought mages, that Gale has brought Lithanian naval officers onto the island, such as Lila Thorell, to teach both him and Hathaway a lesson, brings his mighty axe up and strikes down on Onra's neck. But the first stroke does not kill her. It gets lodged in her neck. And so a second stroke comes down, lopping off Onra's head, leaving the body and the head there for Hathaway to pick up. He then takes his other two captives back to the keep, warning Gale that should there be any more funny business, he will kill all of them. At that point... A war on the island was unavoidable. They call out Grand and tell him to meet them in the city square for a final confrontation. And when they do, Grand Dedi and David, the pirate, are there with a captured Lila Thorell, captain of the Angel's Valor, ready to be hung. Grand Deadeye tries to convince the other pirate lords and their men that Gale is the enemy, breaking the rules, bringing mages. But alas, they cannot be swayed. And just before Grand hangs Captain Thorel, they see puffs of smoke and portals. As one, two, three, four, five. Of the mage nation of Oozliums, elite police force known as the Frostworms up here. Frostworms? Where did that come from? Yeah, what's a frostworm? Well, I mean traditionally a frostworm is, is kind of a, a kind of dragon, um that, that um, has some kind of frost breath, like a white dragon. But these folks no 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 they are charged with hunting down rogue mages dissenters, and bringing them back to Uslium to face justice. As they appeared, chaos erupted. Lightning bolts were shot out of their hands. Meteors were called down from the sky. The power of Uslium was on display, and all cowered before it. In the chaos, our party went down and tried to infiltrate the keep to get to Grant. In the dungeons, they met a druid named Rhea, who had been captured by Grond and did not know why. She joins the party and takes them up through the keep, as she wants to kill Grond Deadeye as well. They join forces and assault the keep, and eventually they meet at the throne room. Grond had his hostages there, ready to be killed with a word from Grond. Maya disguises herself as a god using magic and escorts Rhea into the room. Rhea is set next to the other hostages. And when the time is right, the rest of the party enters the room and a fight ensues with Grond. He orders the hostages to be killed. But all of a sudden, Rhea, the druid of the Maracute, starts to change form. Her body morphs, getting larger, turning green, and suddenly you heard it. The deep, terrifying ribbit of a giant toad. The party fights Grond, and the giant toad helps defend the hostages. Grond taunts Mayhem as he is a dragonborn and tells him that Anra was his absolute favorite whore. Mayhem, feeling that rage, letting it fuel him, lets loose his sword, and it strikes home, landing the final blow on Gron Deadeye, nearly decapitating him then and there. Gron falls dead to the ground. They finish taking his head, and they throw it down to the fighting below them, calling out, telling the pirates of Grand that he had died and demanding they lay down their arms, which is exactly what they did. In the aftermath, Swanton Riley, Captain Gale's first mate, is promoted to pirate lord and takes over Grond holdings and responsibilities on the island. Captain Hathaway, who lost the most men and money in the fight, was furious. He hated the party and blamed them for his losses. As such, he demanded they be banished from Okupara, never to return. And if he did see them, he would kill them. The pirate David reveals to them that he is a member of the Karambit, which is a criminal underground organization of Lethania, to which both David and Natrix belong. And he is there to help the party return to Lethania. In fact, he had been sent there by Lethania to retrieve them when they heard of the angel's valor sinking, Sen by this time had revealed that she is also a mage to her party, a roguish mage if you will, my kind of mage. In the night, to make Mayhem feel better about the death of Onra, Sen steals Maya's bag of holding, goes down to the brig where Onra's body is being kept, and with Natrix's help, makes an ice saw and chops the body up into little pieces putting it into the bag of holding, taking it over to a clearing, and burying it there. Wait, wait, Remy. So these
4: characters are the heroes you chose for your tale?
1: Look, Uzo, it's about moral ambiguity, really. So it's up to you to decide how heroic they are. I never want
4: to hear any criticisms of the stories I tell at the Academy again.
3: It would help if you'd label them as fiction. And then what happens?
1: Well, Remy... They made a deal with Captain Gale to return to Austrin via a Lithanian ship that they will meet mid-transit, as a pirate ship is not welcome at any Lithanian port. And so it was. Captain Gale took the party to a ship in transit known as the Tempest Wind, and from there they sailed for Austrin, the same port from whence they came. When they arrive in Austrin, they find out it's during a wine festival, and they enjoy some bonding time as a group as they enjoy wine, wine tasting, a boxing tournament, and a number of other games. And believe it or not, Rhea wins that boxing tournament. That's right, the unassuming druid won the boxing contest. Never underestimate a druid, young Remy. After having some fun, the party gets a room at a very strange inn, and goes through a debriefing there with the head of the Karambit, Spymaster Grimbold. Spymaster Grinbold is attempting to vet the party, for they have been summoned by the Imperial Council of Lithania, who wants to know what happened on that ship, and to explain the events on Okupara. And so the party secures a ride from a carriage driver named Reginald. And so they head north out of the city of Ostrun, located in the country of Arkadash, in the Lithanian Empire. In their travels north, they encounter a large band of Arkadashi dragoons mopping up goblins that had attacked them on the road. The party decides to go after the remaining goblins in the nearby mountains, and a fight ensues after Mayhem attempts to speak and reason with the goblins.
2: Ha! it, idiot! Serves him right! Peace and reason never helped me.
3: (laughs) Yeah, the fucking idiot. Can you please stop teaching the child how to swear?
1: Yeah, Ruckus. That's my job. In the aftermath of the fight, they find two goblins that had been kicked out of the colony and were willing to speak with the heroes. The party learns that the Lathanian government is taking in all wild races and trying to integrate them into their society. So they offer this to Gab and Blarg Malarg, otherwise known as the Brothers Malarg. Gab and Blarg Malarg, those are the
4: names? Remy, it doesn't even sound like you are trying. Have you completely given up?
1: No, I haven't given up. Gob and Blog Malag, it rhymes. They're they're goblins, you know. It it makes sense. It it, it makes sense. Shut up. It makes sense. With the brothers Malag in tow, the party heads north yet again, and after some adventures on the road, they soon find themselves in the Lathanian city Karama, a major city on the Lathanian trade highway. In Karama, mayhem goes to the Temple of Rao, to kind of clear his head after all the lives that he took and the death of Onra. At the temple, he learns of the legend of the envoy of Rao, who 80 years earlier had saved Karama from an invasion. He is told that all followers of Rao eventually make their way to this shrine in Karama and attempt the trial of the envoy. No one has completed it to date, but when they do, the armor of the legendary envoy would pass to them. Mayhem agrees to attempt the trial, and his friends are told they can help out too in a small way. When he was prepared, he put on the armor, and a ritual ensued. Once the ritual spell was cast upon him, he stepped through a liquid mirror and into the past. At the end of it, with his friend's help, he manages to win the armor, but only barely. He learns that his friends are his strength, and that he can only trust peace and reason so long as the other party respects it as well. But when the time comes, he has to handle a bully the only way that they understand. In Karama, Sen also goes to the Uslium embassy, where she was looking for more spells. She lies to the frostworms that find her there, They start following her through the city. Sen notices it and starts to run away. What Sen hadn't told the party is that she was on the run from Uslium. Which was a very dangerous thing to do. Not only did it endanger Sen, but it also endangered the party. Luckily, through an intense chase, Sen was able to evade her captors. Sen went back, got David, the only spy that she knew, told him of her troubles. And David agreed to help. He said that he would take care of it, and that Sen could not question his methods. He stays up all night. The next morning, there is commotion. A dead body is found that looks like Sen and has an Uslium brand to match.
3: They brand their mages like cattle?
1: Oh yes, they do. And for the same reason, too. To keep track of them.
3: My sympathy for their methods decreases every time I hear about them. Well, hold on now. At least they have a reason.
1: Sen sees the body and realizes what David has done in faking her death. David had this person killed, faked Sen's brand on the dead body so that they could escape, and told no one. The party tries to leave Karama but is stalled at the North Gate for an hour, where they were seen by many people and guards. A new frostworm had showed up in Karama to investigate this death of Sen. Sen learns his name was Ilvasar Veneros, and he was missing a hand. And what Mayhem didn't understand is that dragonborn are highly recognizable. The party, however, are able to evade the frostworms for the time being, and they leave Karama heading north, and they camp for the night. In the middle of the night, They are attacked, and during the attack, the frostworms catch up to them. A great wall of fire is created, cutting Sen off from the rest of the party. And out from the darkness steps Il Veneros. He corners Sen. Sen, back against the wall of fire, feels she has no choice, turns around and attempts to run through it, burning herself alive, and crumbling down into a heap on the ground. The frostworms collect her body and quit the field. The party is distraught over the loss of Sen. They spend the next few days heading north in an attempt to find her. In their travels north, the next stop is the village of Lytha. They find the village of Lytha is overrun by monstrous metal bulls known as gorgons that can turn you to stone if they breathe on you.
3: Mm, Um... These, these gorgons, daddy, they sound scary.
2: Don't worry, team, i got this one. When a boy gorgon loves an unwilling cow, what they do is... Uh, isn't the point to get him
1: to sleep? Correct you are, Uzo. We can skip that part, Ruckus. Don't need Winifred killing me over it, yes? In Lytha, they meet a human monk and his goliath monk friend, Alcon, that hunts free mages and they join with them in hopes of killing the Gorgons. They track the Gorgons to a meadow in the nearby forest. They sneak up on them and ambush the Gorgons. The party fights the Gorgons fiercely, and though they are victorious, Ted, the lovable fighter, like many of the townspeople here, was turned to stone. The party is distraught, not knowing what to do next with Ted. They carry his body gingerly back. They also take the Gorgon's heads back and turn them in for a reward before heading north and west towards Huria, the next stop. Rhea, the druid of the Maracute, manages to commune with nature to find Sen, and Maya's boss, Neritos of the Talons, reveals to Maya that Sen is being kept in Huria, being held at the Uslium embassy. Armed with this knowledge, the party heads directly to Huria, and when they arrive, they find many missing persons posters all over the walls and houses of the city, mostly missing children, including the son of the city's aldermen. They make their way to the embassy, and as Mayhem is now the envoy of Rao, he uses his persuasion to help convince the embassy to allow them in. They agree as he is an honorable follower of Rao, and down they go into the basement. But when they get there, they see a dark hallway before them. Two rooms down and to the left. A light flickering on and off. The party makes their way slowly in, looking into the first room. There, they find a corpse, dead some days now. And near that corpse, they find a journal. They read it and find out that this corpse was a special enforcer of Uslium. And through their journal, they find that they were called here by the Aldermen to deal with some free mage issues. However, this special enforcer of Uslium employed an Oni to help carry out the work. An Oni is a terrible ogre that survives on eating people. In particular, the Oni prefers children to eat. And as Sen is still young, they feared the worst. Quickly going into the second room, they found a wounded cleric there, dying. They quickly heal her up, and she tells them that she was there tending to Sen's burn wounds when the Oni, disguised as the special enforcer, came in, gutted her, and took Sen back to its lair in the caves outside the city. They continue down the corridor, giving the journal to the cleric and telling them to go give it to the aldermen and to the frostworms. They find a secret passage, a tunnel that had been dug out of the embassy, out of the city that led directly to the caves. And so the party decided to make their way into the Oni's home. They soon find themselves in a maze within those caves, and following certain bloody handprints on the walls, are able to find their way into a main chamber, littered with bodies and skeletons of the victims of this Oni. And there, they found Sen, tongue removed, unable to speak, broken. They healed her. Sen is able to write into the ground to communicate with them and lets them know that there are more children further in the cave that they need to save. And our heroes decide to go further in yet. Natrix arms Sen with a dagger, ensuring that she can protect herself. And they made their way further in. Suddenly, in a corridor, a pitfall trap opens up beneath them. Maya falls in and Natrix nearly does as well. At that moment, Sen turns around to Rhea, stabs her in the stomach with the knife, and as Rhea looks at Sen, her face briefly turns into that of the Onis, and disappears. The party collected itself and tried to go further in. They find Sen in the final chamber, with many dead and eaten bodies
4: strewn all around. See? No, stop. This story is way too
1: scary for Little Remy. Shush, shush, shush. Don't worry, Uzo. Little Remy is already fast asleep. So, we can end the story there.
2: Tut, tut, tut. I was promised a story, and I deserve to hear the end of it. Now, dance, Remy, dance!
1: (sighs) Very well, Ruckus. I will continue. They gather with Sen, and the Oni attacks them. Rhea turns into a giant constrictor snake, grabbing the Oni and smashing it to the ground for the rest of the party to finish off. It is a hard battle, but eventually, the Oni falls. And just as it does, they hear the footsteps and voices of the frostworms coming down the hall. Rhea puts her snake body up to the entrance so that they cannot pass through. Seeing this as a challenge, Ilvesar and his frostworms cast five lightning bolts through her snake body. She nearly dies there on the spot. She reverts back to her half-elf form, and Ilvasar tells the party that Sen is going back to Uslium. But just then, the city aldermen came forth, crying and screaming at the frostworms. You see, it was the Mage Nation's fault that all these children died, and among the dead... The party found the alderman's son, Paichak, dead. The alderman flies into a rage, tells the frostworms that they will not have Sen, and in fact, they will pay for this. He writes a letter, remanding Sen into the custody of Lathania, telling the frostworms that the only way that they can appeal it is at the highest court of Lathania, the court of the Imperial Council. The party Now with the Frostworms as their escort, head north to Lithania City, where Sen will face trial, and Ilvasar will attempt to get his justice. That's where this chapter of our story ends. Sen and the party on the way to see if Uslium will take her away forever. (coughs) I know you're not sleeping, Uzo.
2: In his defense, it has been a three-hour bedtime story.
1: The story wasn't that boring. Plus, there is more to come next time. Andraste, what do you think? Don't you want to hear more of the story?
3: I do want to see where the story goes from here. There seems to be a lot of big things happening behind the scenes that the adventurers don't yet know about.
1: And Ruckus, how about you? You
2: want to hear more? Oh, I'm very curious at what happens next. Like what happened with the trial? Will the group ever figure out a name for themselves? Will Mayhem ever get laid again? DM, will he ever get laid again?
4: No. You know what they haven't done
1: yet, Ruckus? They
4: haven't gone shopping yet.
1: Okay, okay, all valid points, and you'll have to wait to next time. Even I don't know how the story will end. For now, let us go celebrate a sleeping child. I realize now how that sounds, I'm sorry. And so, the bedtime story was completed. And you all will have to tune in on Mondays at 7pm Pacific Standard Time if you wish to see what happens next. I'll see you all there when you start your week off right, with a critical fail.
0: Thank you for listening to the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network. This podcast is supported by our patrons, starting with our inspiring leaders, Duke Flieg and Tomago Tora. Nothing is more important than middle management. Here is our inspiration, Middle Management Lady Bedivere, Ben Slislawski, Cheesecake Fries, Slyly Tov, Erebus, Anonymous Wizard, Jen W. and Seth Jones. Our inspired patrons include Adam, Andreas, Jeremy, Jay Matthews, Red Dead Cocat, Reoccurring Dream, Killian, Lee, Robbie, the Baroness, and the Apollyon. Of course, we also have some amazing guild members that help keep us going.